Hello and welcome to episode 82 of the BMcast. Not a podcast that reveals Lurus of the Dream Den as a companion, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I am Scott and I'm joined by the network disruptor herself, Emma. How are you doing today? Yeah, doing okay. Had a much quieter week in comparison to that. So I've actually had some time mm. to play some Magic, which is a weird one. When it's, your, when it's your job, you kind of not always feel like playing magic. So I'm trying to give myself some space yeah. so I can actually enjoy the thing that got me into working it, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah. last Thursday, I played a local pauper event at my LGS because they're trying to kickstart the format and fire off events. Um, I sleeved up Jeskai Midrange for the night. Um, so if you're not too familiar with Jeskai Midrange, it uses cleansing wildfire and indestructible lands to ramp up. And then you have stuff like Ephemerate, mm-hmm. Moldrifter, and you got Ardent Elementalist from Midnight Hunt. That gets them all back, and then you can just keep looping it. Um, yeah. You'll be happy to know, Scott, that uh, Stepford mm. did a lot of work. Nice. It got it got me a couple of wizards yes. out of my deck, and I just bounced and bought it back and did it again, and it was really really fun. Beautiful. I went two one on the night, um, lost to the mirror because I'm not too familiar how to navigate it because it's my first time playing it. Yeah. Then I played a Kamigawa Neon Dynasty pre-release on uh, yesterday, so that would have been Saturday, mm-hmm. and it was a blast. I went two three um, with a medium sort of pile of green white enchantments. I think I misbuilt it a little, but there's a lot of text on the cards and a lot of... like It's my first pre-release in two years, so I'm, I'm giving myself yeah. a break. Um, it was just good to see some folks I haven't seen like since before the pandemic, mm. so that was good to catch up. Uh, and then I picked up some nice foils uh, for Quintorius EDH, um, which I've been posting on Twitter um, as my Sweet, part yeah. of the BMCast patron thing, which we'll talk about in a bit. Mm-hmm. In terms of content, I've been focused on Neon Dynasty, because that is out, but not quite out yet. Um, so yeah. I'm covering stuff for, like playable cards for Modern and Pioneer, so you can check that out on TCG Player now. And I also did a list for Pauper as well, so if you want to keep any good commons when you open those booster packs, check that out as well. How about you? What have you been up to? Yeah, I'm alright, I'm alright. The content that I'm doing this week is the upgrade guide for Buckle Up, which is a blue-white vehicles precon from Neon Dynasty. It's a very good deck. Now, I know a lot of people were complaining about it being like, oh, there's no Talisman of Progress, or there's no Adarkar Waste in it, wah, 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 wah. It's like, shut up, you're not the first person who said it. I know, I get it, I get it, okay? But, overall, in terms of -of out-of-the-box playability, this is actually one of the best pre-cons that we've gotten. It's so good, it's so, so good. I would suggest people buy it for that alone. Mm -hmm. It's super, super nice to play. But, with that said... The upgrades will make it even better and even smoother. So if you want to check that out, you can go check out that Card Kingdom article now after the show. I had a very busy week in general with like work and family stuff, so I didn't really get a chance to do a whole lot of magic stuff. But I have one great bit of news to share. You kind of touched on it a little bit there a minute ago. Mm-hmm. And you might have seen this on Twitter last week, but the BMcast has been doing pretty well over the past while thanks to our wonderful patrons. So much so that I was actually able to take some money out from the Patreon fund and buy myself a Switch, which is real cool. Switch buddies. Also, the same yeah. colour buddies as well, because you've got the blue one. I also have yeah, the blue yeah. one. <laughs> that, that wasn't intentional, but it just no. worked out that then way. Then apparently everyone else has one as well, so... Yeah, there was a Twitter thread of like people yeah. showing, <laughs> posing with the same pose that I did, which was like holding the Switch beside my face and then me looking shocked and happy but yeah everybody seems to have the same color of, of switch light i don't know what the deal is with that but which good taste i guess you know so like it may not seem like a big thing right it's like oh it's a couple of hundred quid it's not a big deal but it feels so good to have a physical representation of the support that we've been given over the last year and a half and for that i wanted to say like i know that we're gonna have like a, oh thanks for you know patrons and all this sort of stuff but like honestly 
genuinely anyone that has helped contribute to this over the last year and a half thank you very much it's uh it's great it's isn't sweet it? It's good yeah. to know that there's a corner of the internet that really cares about us. Yeah. Obviously, we've the best corner. There's no... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah. we're playing our Switches now. Like, what have you been playing on yeah. the Switch? Like, I, um, I like so, to think you didn't pick up the console and had nothing to go with it, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, like, I bought I bought a couple of couple of small games. I, I de- definitely picked up Hades and then realized that you can actually do save transfers between yeah. uh, your different platforms and stuff. So I basically have all my saves there, which is nice. And I started playing some Tetris 99 as well because I just saw it there and I was like, you know what? When that came out, it was like a wild hot thing for a week or so. And since then, I've wanted to give it a go. And it is basically just Tetris, only sometimes you lose. Yeah, um, it's Tetris on challenge mode, <laughs> like really quick. Yeah. But yeah, I've been playing a few bits. Like I said, I've been pretty busy this week, so I haven't actually really gotten much of a chance to sit down and actually play it. But um, when I do, I'll... I'll nice. let you know what I'm playing as well. Also, so. do we need to talk about Front Mission Free or Front Mission uh, Nintendo Direct? Ooh. Yeah, so, uh, okay. <laughs> I, I think we mentioned this before on the podcast yeah. at one point, but when we were talking about like games that we played when we were growing up and stuff, both of us happened to know about this specific game called Front Mission 3. On the PlayStation um, 1. It's be- on the PlayStation 1, it's like a... It's like a real-time strategy game, but you use mechs. Yeah. It's, it's like RPG strategy. So you have like a, a group. It's like an RPG, but you move around. It's like Final Fantasy Tactics, but with robots. I think is yeah. the best way to describe it. Um, yes. But it's like this really nuanced game by Squaresoft. Not Square Enix. Mm-hmm. Squaresoft. This is how old we're talking. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just it was just really great. That's all I remember playing on the PS1 as a kid. And I mentioned it to Scott, and he was like, oh, yeah, that game's great. And I was just like... Yes. Yeah, yeah, and the thing is, as well, the story is actually very good too. It's like a geopolitical story, yeah, uh, and it it gets real tense. Like we're talking like nuclear power kind of stuff, yeah. you know. But early on in the game, I say within the first like half an hour or so, you have an option to like go with your buddy or not go with your buddy when mm-hmm. you're making a delivery, and depending on which one you do, you choose one of two different storylines. Yeah. And when I say they're opposites, like you literally end up on the opposite side of like wars yeah. during really this. Good. And it is wild. Like some of the people that you might kill in one playthrough, you're playing alongside in the other one. Mm. And it's it's fantastic. I'm not going to spoil anything, but like definitely Front Mission 3. If you haven't played it yet, go pick it up. Yeah. But the Nintendo Direct that happened the other yeah. day, they mentioned that they're going to be remaking Front Mission 1 yeah. and then Front Mission 2 not too long afterwards. Now... I played them before and they weren't as good, mm. but they still had the same sort of feel to them. Yeah. Now, am I hyped about it? Yes, absolutely. Because, you know, it's going to be, you know, modern day design and mechs and all that sort of stuff. And hopefully they'll get to Front Mission 3. You know, we just have to buy loads of copies of this to make sure that they'll uh, keep we'll making them. we'll just have them. to do an episode on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For <laughs> Bonus sure. Bonus episode. Just talk about Wanzas, <laughs> which is the name of the mechs, by the way. I just like, I just like the name yeah. as well. Um, but no, that was a good direct, and I had to tag you on Twitter because it was just like it's front mission. Yeah. <laughs> it's soon yeah, for sure. <laughs> now, before we go on, Emma, have we got any housekeeping? Um, we do. So we'd like to give a warm welcome to Clyde Anderson, who is the latest patron of the Stonks tier. So thank you very much, mm. Clive, and enjoy all our benefits. If you enjoy the BM Cast and would like to support them, you can become a patron for as little as three dollars. Not only will you get access to all of the show notes and deck lists, but you get to listen to the new episodes a day earlier than anyone else. Visit patreon.com forward slash the BMcast to join today. There are also free ways to support them too. 
Just listening to the show is already great. You can follow them on their Twitter at the BMcast as well, and even DM them for a link to the Discord server. No matter your budget, we'll make sure you get your stonks on. All right, Emma, it's your turn this week. What is your card of the week? So my card of the week this week is Reclaim. So it is a 9th edition card, so it's quite old, um, but it's pretty sweet. So for one green mana, you get an instant that puts a card from your graveyard on top of your library. Um, Regrowth effects and rebuy effects are really popular in Commander. This is instant speed as well, which is really nice, so you can draw it on your next turn. It's also a budget noxious revival, which is weirdly expensive now. Yeah. Like super expensive. This is a nice sort of uh, budget holder on that. It's one green mana. There's not much more to say than that. It's just a really sweet one for green commander decks in general. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of for when you're getting a little more competitive, like as a replacement for a Noxious Revival, like you said. It is a way to sort of protect your combo pieces that might be in the graveyard yeah. or something like that. And um, you can put it on top of the library instead of letting it get hit by a Bajuka Bog or something. So like, there's a lot of utility for these kind of cards that a lot of people don't initially see but tend to sort of come to power in the the higher levels of commander play, um, and yeah. particularly around CDH and stuff. Like, that's where Noxious Revival sees a lot of use. Yeah, and also it just helps on, like, creatures that have ETB effects as well, so that you put in the graveyard and you want to put, play them again. It's just a nice little bit of synergy, and it's, like, 25 cents. Yep. Alrighty, so, as we were saying a few minutes ago, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty is here, slash, sort of, slash isn't it's kind of all over the place at the moment mostly because it is available on arena it is on magic online we have done the pre-releases however it's not fully live just yet table topped out on friday so what we are going to be doing here is we have come up with a few different brews for eternal formats mostly modern and pioneer and we are going to be talking about a couple of these brews now they all happen to be budget lists because surprise surprise the bm cast does budget stuff what shot pikachu face speak of true so what we're going to do is we're going to just jump into it now one thing that we i want to sort of preface all this stuff with is that nothing in these decks are particularly like super flashy or anything they're just like i like i mentioned a couple episodes ago there's a lot of good strong role players at a lower rarity or that kind of thing or a lower price that will just help to enable decks quite well Um, and this whole idea for this episode came around last week when we were playing around with a couple of different ideas and i ended up brewing this first deck and i'm kind of excited to talk about it because I'm shocked at how good this is for the price, mm. right? When I say that, I have a $50 modern deck that I would have no problems going and playing in events with. It's a $50 Obosh list, right? So if you've seen them before, you've seen most of them, to be honest. Like they're mono red, sort of mid rangey decks. They look to use uh, cheap, efficient creatures and spells but they only use one and three mana ones because Obash doesn't let you play two or four if you want it as a companion. And you see some classics here, like you see the likes of Dragon's Ray Channeler, you got your Lightning Bolts, you got your Unholy Heats, you got some Light Up the Stage, you have Lavadart, Firebolt, you have all that stuff. But there's a couple of neat little additions here to help the deck function without having the likes of some of the more expensive cards, the likes of Fury and Season Pyromancer. Obviously, they cost a bomb. They cost, like, single copies of them can cost as much as half of this whole deck. 
First of all, Bonecrusher Giant. This is some nice little tech that's being borrowed from Rhino's lists because they use Stomp in order to have a cheap interaction spell while still being three mana or above. And it also gives you a body. So the good thing with this deck is that a lot of the cards will either give you another card or there's some additional utility to it. So let's just run through a couple of things here. First of all, we've got two Bomac Courier as a creature because if you get Bomac Courier through, you're going to start filling its little tote bag or whatever it is carrying it around. <laughs> and eventually you can just crack that and then you'll have a new hand. Sometimes you'll just play it and attack with it like two or three times and then crack it because you've started to run out of gas. And that itself is probably enough, you know. DRC, obviously, one of the best creatures in modern at the moment. Uh, Reinforced Ronin. I talked about this. I mentioned this. This is actually the card that sparked this build. Yeah. Because it's a one drop. So you can play it in the Nobosh deck. But it has a two mana activated ability, the channel ability to discard it in order to draw a card. So you could, in theory, play this on two to help smooth out your draws. Maybe you're a little heavy on, you know, creatures or whatever and you need to find a third land or something. This can help you do that. And then, like we said, the Bone Crusher Giant. Then your spell suite is very much the same as most of these lists. You know, you have your Firebolt, Lava Dart, Lightning Bolt, Unholy Heat, Light Up the Stage, like I mentioned already. But then this is where things get a little interesting. So... We don't really have access to fetch lands or the horizon lands in order to put lands in the bin to help turn on DRC or Unholy Heat's Delirium. So we have to try and alter the deck somehow in order to try and help turn that on a bit. So already Reinforced Ronin and Boma Carrier are both creatures and artifacts, so them alone are two hits, that's nice. But we also have Pyrite Spellbomb which has shown up in these lists before because it is not a red card, Mm -hmm. so it can hit things that are pro-red. And we also have Seal of Fire, which we have seen before with the likes of Lurus, but it's an enchantment, and it's very easy to put into the bin. You just have to cast it and use it. But the other card, and this is a card that I don't think we've touched on pretty much at all, Mm -hmm. apart from like a couple of minutes um, there last week, Experimental Synthesizer. The more I've been brewing with this card, the one red for an artifact, when it enters the battlefield or leaves the battlefield, you exile the top card of your library and until end of turn you may play that card. That includes lands. And then you can sack it to make a 2-2, but whatever about that. The point is that this is really strong. It's really, really strong. And this is another very cheap piece of red card advantage. And we're getting more and more of that. And I'm loving it personally because, you know, I'm extremely biased towards red in general. But, like, when you add all of this stuff together, like, this deck looks really good. Yeah, it looks great. Like, I just love the idea of Synthesizer in these style of decks, just because yeah. it's also an artifact as well, so it just feeds that delirium, you get a bit of mm-hmm. mana out, you get a bit of, like, card advantage, and it's a common, so it's just going to be opened a million times, and it's going to be so cheap. But yeah, it's just like, this seems great. At worst, you can cash it for a samurai in a pinch as well, if you really need to. It just yeah. plays well with Obosh, it doubles the damage, and stuff like that, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, like if you're sitting at four lands and your opponents have removed a bunch of your creatures or whatever, you can pay the three mana, sack this, get a free impulse draw, and get a 2-2. Seems fine. It's something, great. It's, it's good that there's cards in this deck that allows you to do stuff if you're flooding out just a little bit, which mm. is really big in red decks, right? That's often the issue. There's not a lot of things you can do. Um, so yeah, this this seems sweet. I would just play this at FNM happily. Yeah. A lot going on here. I think... Yeah, there's an awful lot going on. Because there's so much utility to so many of these spells, I think, Mm. is what makes it so good. Because they're not... Like, if you were to buy all of these cards, and then you were to then, say, later on, take this deck apart and go to build some other stuff, 
you'll find homes for basically every single card here. Yeah. Like, they're all just good cards. Every single one of these so far has seen play in Modern, with the exception of Experimental Synthesizer and Reinforced Ronin, because we haven't had much time to see them There's show There's been up a lot yet. of talk about Synthesizer and Pauper as well, for like mm. Boris Bully decks and Monarch decks, yeah. because while it's not Astrolabe, which is good, um, it's, it's that one manner artifact that you need to buy back, like Core Skyfisher. Um, it mm. opens up Glinthawk as an option again, but it, it means you can't play it on turn one, which is a big deal, so you yeah. lose that value on an ETB. Yeah, I think uh, Synthesizer is very modern and pioneer playable personally just because it just does so much for one red matter (laughs) it's great 100% yeah and the thing is this is the kind of card and this is sort of a testament to adding colours to artefacts and how good it is Mm -hmm. is that this is the kind of card that if it was colourless it would end up getting banned yeah just straight up this would get banned you can tell they were very careful on what colour identity they gave artefacts like the um, moon snare prototype is a good example that's blue Mm. deliberately blue for a reason if they made that colourless that would have been far too good and we'd probably be talking about bans in various formats right so yeah 100% now the next deck this is an $85 list of affinity speaking of moon's snare prototype it's in here nice four of nice segue as well emma by the way thanks for that yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i've played around and i've tested my affinity list with moon's snare prototype and oh my god Can't it great. feels great <laughs> to have eight spring leaf drums let yeah. me tell you there's something about that level of consistent acceleration because there was always something that I found problematic with Affinity was that sometimes it wasn't very consistent. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you will get like your spring leaf drum and then no zero drop, uh, but more likely you will get like your zero drops and no spring leaf drum because mm-hmm. there was there's the four Mem94 Ornithopter, but only four spring leaf drums. Whereas now you have upped the consistency of the accelerant part. It's twice as consistent. Like you have four of each now instead of just four. And I think that's going to have a huge, huge impact on it. The other thing that I think is really, really good, and I think we need to look a bit more into its application in a number of decks, I think, and that's Michiko's Reign of Truth. I like this card a lot. I played with it at pre-release Saturday, and it just Mm. was real, real fun. It's just nice to have that sort of win condition and just value just on a two-mana enchantment. (laughs) Right, So, for those that don't know, it's one and a white for a saga with three chapters. The third chapter, same as all the others in Kamigawa, is exile the saga, then return to the battlefield transformed under its owner's control. The first two are the same. Target creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn for each artifact and or enchantment you control. And the creature that's on the back of the saga is a zero, zero with the same ability, just static for itself. So, this is basically Nettlesist only cheaper, is effectively what it reads. And I love a nettle cyst. I gotta say, I'm a big nettle cyst fan over here. It's good. This is ridiculous. Now, I like in this list, I have only two of them because that was roughly the count that I would have for nettle cyst Mm. because I have four cranial plating and then two of these. It might possibly just be correct to run four. Yeah, yeah, because the first two chapters are actually quite relevant because you can put it on your ornithopters and your mem knights and your four monitors and stuff and just get in. You have this. threat on like in like two turns later and it's just they have to deal with it Mm -hmm. so yeah it's really awkward to deal with as well because it's like sagas and stuff you know people don't have main board hate for enchantments often so it's just going to stick around until it gets in combat so yeah for sure and i think it's so efficient that i don't think people are quite copping on to this because not only is it one mana cheaper than nettle cyst but you don't have to wait to attack with it then 
because you're targeting another creature that's probably already been out at least a turn and doesn't have summoning sickness anymore so there's that now sure it like that creature can be removed in response but you know like people have removed it creatures in response to cranial plating and people have still won with cranial plating so like yeah, it's not it. really much of an argument you know so i do think that yeah it has an awful lot of application and the fact that it then even if your opponent does remove those creatures turns into a threat itself and also it's because your, your your land suite is all artifact lands as well. So it just mm. powers up on that basis alone. You're yeah. not relying on your creatures to kind of power it up. For sure. But yeah, it's just, it's just a really nice threat to have access to, I think. I think it's a really nice card. Yeah. Just jumping back very quickly, last thing I'm going to say on this affinity list is there is one thing to be skimmed over with the Moonsnare prototype, and that is because you have a good bit of acceleration and stuff normally the downside to this is that your top decks are going to be worse you know it's like when you play with land of war elves in a deck you know you're, you're going to accelerate faster on the on the whole but your top decks are going to be worse because you don't want to top deck a land of war elves like game it's terrible whereas moonsnare prototype if you top deck this it's not a removal spell you just get to put something on top of its owner's library yeah i've i've watched streamers over the last couple of days playing some affinity blue based affinity lists with moonsnare prototype and it has come up like roughly every second or third game that's a lot for that to come up you know and it costs five mana and it still comes up yeah so even with that you can even tuck your thought monitor back and then just replay it again you draw it and you replay it again and you draw two cards because it's not an opponent's card it's owner's card so if That's you want to draw some extra cards, you can just bounce it back. Yep. Granted, it's slow because it's five mana, but it's something that yeah. you can very much do. Yeah. I'm very, very excited to get my hands on my place out of these, for sure. I need to buy so many commons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, moving from commons to uncommons, we have a deck that oh, I, I have a big soft spot for. To, to be do. honest, every, everything so far, I've had a soft spot for, so... Mm. <laughs> But this one is a mono red hollow one list. It does not have the in-depth food package with Feasting Troll King like I usually have. But what it does have is a new card from Neon Dynasty that we've seen people freak out about in Legacy because it goes crazy combo ridiculous with a bunch of LEDs and uh, some tutor effects. So, you know... It's good to hear that they finally broke LED, but you know. <laughs> I was say, it's like, uh, <laughs> not a great card until now, is it? <laughs> no, no. But the card that we are talking about is Containment Construct. So it is too generic for a 2-1 construct that reads, whenever you discard a card, you may exile that card from your graveyard. And if you do, you may play that card this turn. Now that doesn't sound all that big and flashy and wild, but when you take something like casting Burning Inquiry into account where you and your opponent each draw three and then discard three at random. This is like the red him to Torak, sort of. But you also then still get access to the cards that you've just discarded if you have a construct out, which is quite nice. And that's the main sort of innovation in this deck here because you have your Burning Inquiry, you have your Goblin Lore. Like if you've ever played against Hollow One before, you've seen these cards. You still have your Asmorana, Mardika, Dyson, Akuldakar, and the Underworld Cookbook. That's all still there. You've still got your street raids. You've got your, you've got a few insolent neonates to help enable the discarding in order to draw. Uh, your Flameblade Adepts. Like, it's all pretty much the same. But I really think that, like, in my experience, playing with Hollow One, one of the most annoying things was to hit a Burning Inquiry and then discard, like, two Hollow Ones and be like, yeah. God, they just stayed in my hand. I would have two free 4-4s four right now. Yeah. But now, 
You do. You just have them now. This containment construct is a great magic card. <laughs> yes. And one little neat distinction that I decided to add in here, because it is a may. You may exile that card. So I added in a single copy of Wonder, because if you put it into the graveyard, you can just leave it there, and then all your creatures just have flying. Yeah, that seems good. <laughs> Which I love. I don't know why I find that so funny to just be like, all right, anyway, here's a bunch of like, you know, empty statues that now fly like, steal <laughs> yeah. with these. But yeah, there's not much else to this deck that I haven't already said like seven or eight times before. So it just makes the just- hollow one package a lot more consistent, doesn't it? Because you have ways to yeah. cast those hollow ones that are in the bin, which is which is what the deck kind of mm. needed, right? It's just like the, one of the issues, right? Yeah, yeah. So before, like I said, when I was using the Feasting Troll King and the Overtaste Daredevil and stuff, the deck has sort of had a different form of consistency in the sense that like, well, okay, maybe you didn't get the hollow one set up, but you did get a Feasting Troll King in the bin. You've got two foods and you can make another one next turn. Then you know you're talking and it's a different it's a different angle of attack and it's quite good and it might still just be better overall because you know you never know but this is definitely strong enough to warrant looking into i really think this has some has some legs here for sure i need to pick one up for quintorius as well yes you probably want one for lady right i already have the replacement made in my head yeah All right, so they are the modern decks we wanted to go over. We're going to take a quick run through some Pioneer lists now. Yeah. Um, Emma, why don't you take us off with this first little brew years here? Yeah, so we talked about it a little bit last week, I believe, when we were talking about like build-arounds of cards, like commons and commons and stuff. Mm-hmm. And since Kamigawa Neon Dynasty is an Artifact Matters set, a lot of people had their eyes on Insol in Pioneer. Yes. So if you don't know what Insol Artifact is... It is an enchantment aura that gives target creature that is an artifact or tar- artifact uh, a five-five base power and toughness, and it turns it into a creature. So you have your stuff like your ornithopters, you have your ginger brutes, which is essentially unblockable because you know it has haste and it has this cool ability. Mm-hmm. You have some really cool stuff like springleaf drum to ramp these out, and there's some really really cool new cards that add to that deck. So you've got Eater of Virtue, which is a really fun uh, equipment. Mm. Um, which has a lot of text, so bear with me. So for one mana, you get a equip one creature that gives target creature plus two plus O. As long as a card with exiled with Eater of Virtue has flying, equipped creature has flying. Same is true for all the other keywords that are available, like double stroke, trample, blah, 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 stuff like that. But whenever mm-hmm. the equipped creature dies, they exile, so you get the ability on that card. So that's a really nice win condition to have. You also have Michigo's Reign of Truth in here. You've got the whole playset. Because you're mm. running a buck ton of artifacts and some enchanting creatures, so it just seems fine to do so. Yeah. And then you've got like a suite of removal. So you've got stuff like Portable Hold, which is really good at the moment. You've got a couple of Stubborn Denials, just to make sure people don't, you know, to account with those removal spells. Mm. Also, because it's so low mana curve, you get to run Lurus for free, because why not? Yeah. But yeah, that's pretty much it. It's just, it's your traditional sort of Azorius and Soul deck, but you've just got a couple mm. of tweaks with like Michigo, Eater of Virtue being the main ones it just gives it that little bit of oomph which is nice yeah i'm a big fan of Idra virtue when i first saw it i was like mm, i don't know if that's very good i'll be honest but- i glanced over because i saw a lot of words yeah yeah well uh, to be honest i saw like Audric style words on there and yeah. i was like ah, you know what it's probably not my thing i don't <laughs> yeah. care but First of all, worst case scenario, having a bone splitter, perfectly fine. What I particularly like about it is that Stonecoil Serpent's Reach, Trample, and Pro Multicolor 
all count if they get killed with it on. Yeah. So with that alone, you have reach trample pro multicolor. If an ornithopter dies, it just gives things flying. If a ginger boot dies, it just gives things haste. It's so cool. It's yeah. so, so cool. Nearly every single creature in the deck, bar Ingenious Smith, has keywords on it. Yeah. So that's quite nice. That's quite nice. Also, if you put it on like a Luris as well, it gets lifelink. Mm. Like, oh, you got a one-off LC Life's Bounty in here, which has lifelink. Um, it's just little ways of building a keyword suit creature. Yeah. Now, obviously, there is a little bit of downside and like a tiny number with Luris because when the creature dies, yeah. it gets exiled instead, so you can't play it back. But I think having the one-off, it's, it's definitely worth it for it's sure. Fine. For one um, mana, it's fine. I think it's it's yeah. enough, I think. Um, and it's you can't you don't have net assist or cranial playing, so yeah. this is like the best you have to do, right? Yeah. And that's why Michigo is in here as well. You also have a one of Iganjo Seat of the Empire, which is one of the channel lands. Is the cycle yeah. the white cycle of the channel lands? I just like having one offs in these kind of decks because mm. it it comes in so it's a white source that comes in untapped and it can just blow out a creature if needs be. It's free. So it's basically. free. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I kind of like those sort of effects. And then you got Black Staff of Waterdeep, which is probably one of my favorite cards in the mm. deck because it's just one mana, you know, good value stuff. So Yeah. I am so glad, by the way. Slight aside, right? Slight aside. But I'm incredibly happy to see Ingenious Smith seeing play yeah. it, it, across multiple formats with all these artifact-style decks. What I find particularly good is that when I saw this, I was like, does Hammer just want this in Modern? And everybody was like, no, what are you talking about? It's a two mana, one, one. Let's say it's a glintness crane. Like yeah. nobody cares, right? People then started playing with it instead of dismissing it and then started stomping all the people that were originally naysaying it. So basically what happened was Aspiring Spike played with it. So everyone else started playing with it is what essentially happened because he proved that is actually really good. <laughs> And people it, it, is that who it was okay? Yeah, okay. yeah. So because the Tyrus Spike's like brews all kinds of modern decks yeah. and stuff. Really great. You should check him out. But everyone was like dismissing it, and then Spike was like, "But what if we just play it and find out?" And then it was really good, and now everyone finds it really good. It's amazing what happens See, when you play with magic cards and yield some sort of results from it. Like it's crazy. See, this is the thing. This is the thing <laughs> that winds me up. And ah, oh, sorry, now you started me off. Sorry. So, <laughs> The thing that winds me up is when I point out cards, because I'm a brewer, I want to take these cards and I want yeah. to try them. I want to fit these into new decks and stuff. And like half the people that are going to be listening, looking at some of these decks are going to be like, Scar, you want crack? Like what are, what are half these decks? These are stupid. What's going on? But the thing is, unless you actually try them, you have no earthly yeah. notion as to how they're going to play. You can, you can have an educated guess based on what you've seen before, but like you won't know until you physically play with the cards. There is always something to take away from it, whether it's good or bad. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, a lot of the time, cards tend to actually just be good enough. Mm. It's just not necessarily tier zero, absolute best possible thing to do in the format. But the thing is, you miss out on all of that stuff if you just go, nah, it's not good enough, and don't even try it. And Ingenious Smith is one of the examples. Arclight Phoenix was another one. People were like, you're actually going to cast three spells in a turn? It's like, I'm <laughs> sorry, have you seen that. Modern? <laughs> like, I, yeah, I remember when Arclight Phoenix got previewed, and I was like, this is terrible. I'm like, it's yeah. Benjamin for spells. What what like, you want? Like, yeah, and you've, in, you've Ingenious Smith's modern, the same right? thing. Yeah, like, crazy. Ingenious Smith's the same thing. You know, like yeah. you just they they just see the stats on it and be like, oh, the the ETB like uh, put a plus one plus one counter on it only once a turn kind of thing. Like that's so restrictive. And it's like, yeah, but if you play games and you're grinding out, this is the card you want, like mm. because it's going to slowly grow over time because you're just playing your spells. Yeah. It's rewarding you for playing Magic: The Gathering, the game that you're currently playing, yeah. like. 
it's it's real hard not to see the value in that and yet so many people still do i just it just drives me demented seeing people be like it's not good enough and then like they're just not like i remember when people were like portable holds not good enough seeing like man of value two or less and i'm like are you actually dense have you read the card like how can you look at that and go that doesn't warrant testing like no no Uh, speaking of ingenious smith we can go to our next deck (laughs) Please do, yes. deck. The also <laughs> a genius man. Do you want to talk about this one, Scott? Okay, okay. I know I just went off on one, right? I know I just went off. I love on a good one, segue need, rant. They're my favorite. Like, but I need to go off on this one as well, right? Okay, because yeah, go for it. <laughs> this was <laughs> this was one, right, dear listener. Uh, Emma came to me with an idea, right? She was like, "I want to build like a cool grease fang parhelion sort of the reanimator animator. sort of deck." Yeah. So, for those that don't know, Greasefang Okiba Boss is one white black for a 4 3 rat pilot with, at the beginning of combat on your turn, return target vehicle card from your graveyard to the battlefield. It gains haste, return it to its owner's hand at the beginning of your next end step. So, Parhelion 2, obviously. Obviously, it's what you want to be bringing back, right? So, that's what we wanted to do. And Emma was having trouble with. Because you wanted to make it like three colors, you wanted to have well, the, thing the is, drawn the thing discard is because stuff. because a lot of lists I've seen are, are Esper mm. because you you're not leaning it into the reanimation hard, you're kind of stalling it with stuff like counter spells. You've got charter courses like a discard outlet for it as well, yeah. um, and then you're splashing the black for Akiba basically. But you're like a you're like a blue white tempo mid range deck, but then you just got the Akiba as like the like the win condition part. Um, but yeah. it's very deadly. But it's very free mana. Like free mana mana bases are really like free color mana bases are really hard to do in Pioneer because you've got shops yeah. and all the pathways are really expensive at the moment. So yeah, for sure. So I, I took it upon myself to try and make it two colors, uh, black white. So black and white are not really known for having loads of like self discard. Um, Which is weird. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so. What I did was I made a black-white vehicle reanimator deck. So (laughs) if you want to play it out fairly, you kind of can, right? So to give you an idea, like we said, it has Ingenious Smith because it's going to help find our vehicles, of which we have plenty. We'll get to in a moment. But it can also hit a creature in the form of Hotshot Mechanic, Mm -hmm. one white, two one, Fox Pilot, and it can crew vehicles as though its power were two greater. So it's as if its power were four. And they are two of the main creatures in addition to Greasefang Okiba Boss. Now, what we wanted to do was do the vehicle reanimation stuff like bring back Parhelion or whatever that is, right? So first of all, we needed to have some form of discard. Now, what I found was Collective Brutality, first of all, is a perfectly fine card in and of itself. And its Escalate allows you to discard cards. So that will let you get the big ass vehicles into the bin to reanimate with Greasefang if you want. But also... Three mana for a 7-6. Two and a black, 7-6, rotting Regisaur. At the beginning of your upkeep, discard a card, right? Not only is this self-discard on a huge body, Mm. right? But that huge body can also, by itself, crew something like, say, Consulate Dreadnought or Colossal Plough, which are some of the vehicles that we've added to the deck. Uh, in addition to Parhelion. And yeah. Parhelion. In addition to Parhelion. So 
you have this ability to self-discard in order to reanimate with Greasefang. You have the ability to just beat down with Reggie if you want to. You have the ability to use that to crew something even bigger or that will give you more benefit. Mm. And when you add all this stuff up, it starts to feel like a cohesive package because you don't even necessarily need to reanimate for a number of reasons. First of all, Parhelion, if you do manage to play Parhelion, you know, more power to you. It's incredible that you've hardcast it. But if you need to actually crew it with something, the hotshot mechanic can do it by itself. The Grease Fang can do it by herself. Everything bar the Ingenious Smith, which eventually will be able to crew with itself. But you also have the, like we said, we mentioned Colossal Plow. You can crew that with six power worth of stuff. So that's not hard. You know, it's like two hotshot mechanics or a hotshot and an Ingenious Smith or whatever. You can find it pretty easily. We found a little trick. Uh, born to drive Mm. so it's two and a white for an aura where you enchant artifact or creature and as long as enchanted permanent is a creature it gets plus one plus one for each creature and or vehicle you control which you'll you'll control a few that's fine but the main part is you can channel it for two and a white and discard born to drive to create two one one colorless pilot creature tokens with this creature crews vehicles as though its power were two greater, yeah. which means that for three mana, you discard this and you have crew six worth of crewing power, yeah. which means that on, say, turn two, you can play Colossal Plow. And then mm-hmm. on turn three, you can channel Born to Drive, crew Colossal Plow, attack with it, and then go and play, I don't know, a cast Born to Drive itself or play yeah. another one or play an Ingenious Smith and find a portable hole and hit an opponent's creature or... What there's so much here, there's so many different like interlocking parts that it feels like a mid-range vehicle reanimatory synergy machine. It's it's weird. It's wild. It's seventy eight dollars. Plus, I just love the idea of rotting Reggie saw just you know crewing a Parhelion or a Colossal Plow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the image in my head is really great. It is a shame yeah. that obviously Smuggler's Culture is banned and it's probably banned for good mm. reason. But you know, well, it's challenge mode, right? <laughs> this is true this is true I don't know like th- this just sort of came to me like some sort of weird fever dream uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying to build it but if you have all the pieces lying around I would at least give it a go because it's just it such a fun card as cool. well the Kiva boss yeah. card is just seems really fun to play with or believe yeah. it around for sure um, okay bring us back to some sense of normalcy there <laughs> uh, Emma with something that isn't um, like I've been smoking drugs for a week <laughs> so while we were brewing these, we kind of, I played so I played Enchantress in the pre-release the other mm-hmm. day, and so I played Green White Enchantress. So I opened the Weaver Harmony, which is a card that Scott didn't really know, and I had to like show it to him. And I'm like, this could be really good Enchantress. So uh, Weaver Harmony is a two mana two two, uh, one generic and a green. Other enchantment creatures you control get plus one plus one, so it's essentially a lord, um, and it's this really cool. Um, tap ability so for green a tap you copy target activate or trigger ability you control from an enchantment source you may choose new targets for the copy so in the pre-release i was doing i had like spiriting companions to draw cards so i'd mm-hmm. copy the triggered ability and it was like a divination which was just really really fun so why not just put that into a like a pioneer deck and just have a lot of these creature enchantment creatures that are just low mm-hmm. curving just curve out so you got stuff like elsie's of life bounty um and all these cards from like pharos beyond death that are just happen to be enchantment creatures mm. and then you've got Jukai Naturalist which is the discounter from the enchantment discounter from Neon Dynasty yeah. you've got Spirited Companion obviously why not that's your card draw 
Um, and then you've got stuff like Satessan Champion that just triggers on every time an enchantment's played and just gets bigger and bigger. And also we've got Michiko's Reign of Truth in here because you're playing enchantments, so that's just a win condition on its own. Yep. And then we've got some interesting includes, like Moon Blessed Cleric was one that you suggested, didn't you, Scott? You'd like to yeah. look at this one. Yeah, because it just tutors for basically any other card in the deck. Yeah. Bar maybe like Seder Enchanter or Satassin Champion. And just puts it on top. Now, normally putting it on top, not super amazing, but because you have the Enchantress effects and stuff, it's not going to be hard to just... Mm get that card off the top like you can either put it there for next turn or you can just play another enchantment directly afterwards draw a card and then have access to it immediately that's why we're a little low in this list on say like removal and stuff like this too baffling end uh, because you don't really need loads of them in this kind of build anyway Mm -hmm. like normally you want to sort of just play out some value commit to the board and you know win from there this Moonblast Cleric gives you access to stuff like that while also giving you access to other things like you can pull up a Destiny Spinner play it and with an abundance of mana, just turn all your lands into threats. Or you could go get a Michiko's Reign of Truth and get an evasive creature in for a lethal using Alsate of Life Spendy to give pro black against a, uh. a you know, vampire's deck or something. You know, there's a lot of different things you can do with this. I really think that there's something here. Mm. This may not be like a final iteration or whatever, and it might be a little too hard in on just enchantments or whatever, but I think as a core concept i think this deck really has some legs yeah especially sure. when you have destiny spitter as well so a lot of your stuff is uncountable yeah and then you can just like if you're flooding on lands you could just turn your uh, lands into creatures and turn sideways as well so there's there's a lot to go on here also you have um wolf willow haven as a way to ramp up as well because enchantment based deck should yep. have a little bit of ramp as well yeah but for 90 dollars sure. it's pretty good and you can probably build it out of two sets of cards which is kamigawa neon dynasty and theros beyond death so yeah absolutely now, so that's pretty much it for the brews that we have. And like we said, a lot of them are not really focused around new cards specifically, but rather a bunch of the new cards that are decent role players are starting to show new homes that they've kind of just built or yeah. helped bring into existence, uh, which is really, really sweet to see. And this is the kind of set that makes me really excited to play Eternal Formats again because it shakes things up. But it doesn't shake things up as in, like, these other strategies are no longer relevant or viable. It's that, like, oh, look, there's these new things that, like, have potential and can be explored. And that's what really excites me about this stuff. So, yeah, very excited. That seems sweet. Yeah. Now, we have a little special something for our patrons. I went a little bit overboard when I was brewing decks. So (laughs) I have three leftover brews that I'm going to put in the show notes. They didn't quite make the cut for today, but I do think that there is something there. One is a colorless affinity list running Consulate Dreadnought. One is a Boros land destruction, crack the earth kind of deck. And the third one is a $50 version of that same land destruction deck. So if you want to go check them out, they are available to all patrons at any tier in the show notes that we send out every week. So... I think that just about wraps up the main section of the episode. So, Emma, why don't you bring us on home with some Q&A? Yep, so we've got a handful of questions this week. Uh, the first one is from Monsu Light on the BMCast Discord. They ask, a question for both of you and for every format that you play. Do you sometimes like to brew an off-the-wall deck just to get it out of your system? <laughs> 
this I is mean, you. This is directly you I, more than me. <laughs> I, I feel I feel like that black white pioneer deck is just emblematic yeah. of my answer, I was really which is to yes. Look at the top of the show notes, just given all what happened. But so the answer yeah. is yes. Um. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Like yeah, what happens? Totally. What happens to me is I see a card and I'm like, I can make something with this. I can make yeah. something with this. And then I have to make something with it. Otherwise, it tortures me forever. And then so, you just wake up at like 2 a.m. just going. It's like the phone me, the person in bed with the phone. That bold me. of you to assume that I'm asleep by 2 a.m. You know okay. what I mean, though? Or when you're in bed <laughs> and you're just like, oh, crap, so-and-so on my phone yeah. doing it right now sort of thing honestly that that doesn't really happen for me mostly because i stay awake until i get something done and then yeah. when it's done i'm like go to bed okay so i'm i'm one of the few people that that never actually happens to i tend to lie in bed and then be like why am i not asleep yet my brain is just like 700 percent all the time but yeah so to get back to the question once you like yeah i i do this a lot i find a card or an idea or like I see the potential for something there and then I just need to make it I need to Mm -hmm. make it happen I need to try and make it exist in some form somewhere and honestly the bonus modern decks that I've added to this week's show notes are kind of exactly that I think yeah yeah um, and we got one more question from Ev the Mage. They are on Twitter. They are so no sweet deals to report this week. Although I want to ask what you think of Noltred Gargantuan. It seems to be big enough that it could be a body and mid range decks in modern as a way to use ETB triggers. If you don't know what the card does, uh, for one generic green and a blue, you get a five six um, creature beast. When uh, Noltred Gargantuan comes into play, put creature you can't control on top of its owner's library. Three hmm. mana five six seems sweet though. Yeah, it's my problem here is that it's worse than Goyf, and that says a lot because Goyf's terrible. Yeah, Goyf's so, just a vanilla creature. What are you on about? <laughs> yeah, now I could one hundred percent see this as some sort of like combo piece. What I would be thinking okay. is something along the lines of like, say, Legacy um, Aluron kind of thing, Aluron, where yeah. where you could like play this and you have sort of like a creature ETB draw a card effect. Yeah into play and then you can play so like this for free and put another one of these on top of your library then immediately draw it and then you just have a loop like that of some sort Mm. i'm not like i wouldn't be using i wouldn't be looking at that as a beefy creature with a downside i'd be looking at that as a this is a weird like thingy that does (laughs) uh, that does that does something that i have no use for right now yeah um but it is the kind of card that's like you should jot that down in a like brewer's notebook of yes. like cards that you need to like keep in mind where it's like, like this effect is this... interesting. I don't know yeah. where it goes, but it exists. Like I feel that way about Witch's Cottage, which is the Eldraine yeah. mono black land that puts a creature on top of your library if you have a yeah. swamp, whatever. Um, I feel like that's almost pretty close to modern playable, but there's just no really good ETB creatures to really make the most of that. But again, mm. it's just one in the back of my head. I'm like. At some point, this card's going to be really, really good. I don't know when, but it just feels like it's got that potential, you know? Yeah. (laughs) 
Thank you for listening to us here at the BMCast and a special thanks to our patrons. However, we've had more patrons join recently that could fit into the usual outro, so I've got to speed this up a little bit. At the cheering fanatic tier, we have Tom Telford, Anthony Burchett, Christopher McCarthy, Edward Whitney, Evil Vanilla Glaze, Ian Holland, Jeff Eaton, Jonas Kong, Kilgore Trout 503, Matthew O'Neill, Max Makes Magic, MF Peaches, Mini Maya, Morgan Roberts, Munsu Light, Nicholas Martin, Ozan Kaplaner, Scott Hanch, The Jess Guy, The Joe Cheney, Zachary Morrow, and Tim Newman. And at the stonks tier, we have a nice planeswalker, Alex Gibson, Bo Schwartz Madsen, Brian A. Madden, Coffee, Everett Brogan, Nerblin, Mickey Paris, Scott Creech, Seamus MC, Simon Grip, Jamie Coyle, and Clyde Anderson. Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We can't thank you enough. If you want to support us and add your name to this list of lovely and wonderful people, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the BMcast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagicast.gmail.com or message us on Twitter at BMcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.